This is More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, Pussycat? That's Tom Jones. For those of you who don't recall, what an amazing singer and entertainer he was. But in that case, he, well, it still is. um, He he, um, is doing another Burt Bacharach song. Nick, since we started at 5 o'clock this morning, have you had to repeat? I don't think you've had to repeat any songs. Just every time we're coming back from commercials or break, whatever news, whatever we're doing, um, Nick has been playing a different song written by Burt Bacharach, and that was another one from Tom Jones. Um, and Burt Bacharach, in case you missed it, at, uh, still this point, passed away yesterday, but one of the more phenomenal popular music songwriters, uh, I think, in pop music history. Now, um, I was standing in the chip aisle one day trying to decide what to do, and there's the yellow bag, two for $4, and there's Lay's chips, two for $6, there's the Ruffles chips, two for $9. Okay, I wondered, if I bought all three bags... And brought him in here, and we did a little uh, blind taste test. Would the more expensive chip win out? This is the vital kind of information you need before your Super Bowl party. That's why I'm doing this. I'm going in depth <laughs> and having fun. In depth and in bold. Uh, yeah, yes, that's right. And so, along with our, our traffic specialist, Lisa Morales, and Richard Krauss, Canada's beloved movie guy, um, we did a blind taste test on those three brands well, the non brand and then the two brands. Uh, we did a video on this, and it's available on News Talk 1010's Facebook page and Instagram. But uh, basically, here we are checking it out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, is there a bad chip, really, though? Yeah, well, there are no bad chips. Right. There are okay. no bad chips. But that, I think, is a particularly good chip. It's a safe chip. Mm-hmm. Super yep. safe with a dip. You know, you want to yep. just have it as is. It's good. It's a good choice. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Good, yeah. good crunch yep. on it. And uh, we'll move on now right. to um, Bowl B in the Great Chip Challenge. Mm. Okay. It's a good crunch. It's got good crunch. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This one is better than the first one, I think. Oh, good? I may, have over, I may have given it up too early for the, for the <laughs> You started off hot. Chip. Well, you always enjoy your first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can appreciate the ridges, though, because I feel like if you are dipping, because I feel like chips and dip, it's a thing, right? Yeah. You definitely get uh, a little bit less product on this chip. The you first think, one, the ridges were a bit wider, so it would up more, stop up a little bit more. Yeah. You'd have a bit more quantity, you know? Okay. To be honest with you, I like the flavor a little better on A, but that's me. I mm-hmm. think I, um, These are saltier, though. I oh, think, you see, I find them less yeah. salty. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Right. So let's go to C. Um, this one has a more cardboardy kind of yeah. vibe to it than the it other does. two. This is my least favorite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm going to have to agree. This is just sort of there. Yeah, it just kind of is. It's this being, one needs more dip. Yeah. It needs more dip. Yeah. So I feel like we're we're kind of dealing with the same flavor here, yeah, but definitely yeah. less intensity on this one. Yeah.
Okay, so that was part of our chip challenge where we did the actual testing, blind testing on the chips. We didn't know which ones we were eating, or at least I didn't. Uh, I don't think they did. I don't know how much uh, chip eating all of the three of us do. I can't imagine how much salt I ate yesterday uh, doing this thing. But uh, then, of course, we tabulated our results, and here's what we came up with. There's a video on all of this at uh, News Talk 1010 Facebook page, News Talk 1010 Instagram page. But what we came up with is, in last place, the yellow bag. The one we said tastes like cardboard. <laughs> Richard said tastes like cardboard. Yeah, like we said, if uh, the, the product tastes like the packaging, don't buy it. And so Richard said, that's the downstairs chips. Give those ones to the kids. Uh, and then coming in second place was Lay's. And not surprisingly, they were the mid-price chip. And then in first place, it was the Ruffles, two for $9, that won out. So you get what you pay for. Here's how we concluded the video. It is not always going to be the case when you test out products like this that the one that costs the most is actually the best. This is true. But in this case, that's how it worked out. When it comes to chips, I'm telling you, and I'm a chip connoisseur Mm -hmm. next to being a traffic specialist, (laughs) I know my chips. And unfortunately, you get what you pay for. Okay, so take that into consideration for your Super Bowl party and go Chiefs. All right, so um, check out the video if you care to and if you have time. Meanwhile, we did this because we're heading toward the Super Bowl and TSN's Matt Cause joins me now. Are you all excited? Absolutely, Jerry. Good morning. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a close game if you look at the point spread. It's one of those games where no one can really tell you definitively who they think is going to win between Philly or KC. So, no, yeah, I'm thrilled for this game. Isn't there a point spread? Yeah, the uh, Eagles are favored by one and a half. Only one Super Bowl has had a shorter spread than that. So uh, the books are kind of telling you they they don't even know. Like It's a pretty split between the two teams. Flip a coin, basically. Well, I'm, I'm going for the Chiefs. How about you? Yeah, I'm going for them. I'm going for them as well. I think, you know, you see just the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. You see what they did without Tyreek Hill, where Mahomes had his best season after he lost his best guy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going for them. This is their third Super Bowl in, like, the last five years. And it just feels like Mahomes should be a guy with multiple Super Bowl wins. Philly's younger. Uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, he's a young guy, so he'll have plenty of opportunities. So, yeah, no, I, I am rooting for Kansas City. I love that story. I love Andy Reid. It's a fun team to watch. Well, I have two reasons uh, to be for and against these teams. I, I did talk radio for a while in Kansas City, and I attended some games there, um, and so it's easy for me to pull for the Chiefs in that regard. But one of the games I attended, as it turned out, was against Philly, and, of course, fans will travel. And those Philly fans, oh. Matt, were the biggest jerks I ever encountered. Oh, absolutely. There, there's a reason why there's the stereotype of Philly fans. They they are the worst. They're the ones who, you know, the the, the classic story, they booed Santa. Uh, they were the first football stadium that put like a courtroom or a jail or holding cell in the arena because of so many, as you mentioned, jerk fans. There's something about the Northeast where people just get really angry, and Philadelphia is the leader in that. All right, Matt. Uh, but as a sports reporter, and since we're talking football, what did you think of this Angus Reid report asking Canadians, if you could only watch just one game, would it be the Super Bowl or the Grey Cup? And most Canadians, except for in um, Saskatchewan, in the Prairie Provinces, most Canadians said they'd rather watch the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm not surprised by that because you know most 
where's the highest population base? It would be here in Southern Ontario. And this is definitely uh, more of an NFL market than a CFL one. And I mean, you know, for me, I write for the CFL. I love the Argonauts. I'm a fan of all football. So it, does, it doesn't actually bother me, but I'm not shocked by that. And I mean, think about it. I mean, this since like Dan Marino was a star in the early 80s, this, you know, Toronto has slowly swung into NFL first. Where the people are most likely to prefer the NFL would be in Quebec with only 22% picking the Grey Cup, the CFL. Uh, on the flip side of that is Saskatchewan and Manitoba um, with yeah. 70% picking the Grey Cup. Now part of it is um, we have so much population here in Toronto and we have all these pro teams and the Argos don't really get their due in this city whereas if you live in Regina or Winnipeg, um, well in Winnipeg they do have a hockey team but it's such a huge part of their community. Oh, God, yeah. And, and Winnipeg has won two of the last three great cups. And Regina, as you mentioned, they don't have any other pro teams. And it's just, it's just much more ingrained there. And it's always going to be. And it's one of those classic arguments, Jerry, that we'll have you know, on slow news, sports news days where what can be done to get the Argos to be more relevant? And I don't think there is anything. I think there's always going to be a there's going to be a small but passionate group that loves the CFL. And the NFL is always going to be king. It's the marketing king. You look in the States, a preseason NFL game will do better than an NBA postseason game, than in like an NBA semifinal. So football is this giant monolith that is just going to is going to consume everyone. Well, I think, first of all, it's not really an either-or. There's lots of people who like to watch both because, like you, Matt, yeah. they just like football. Um, but w w the most disturbing thing for the CFL in general, I think, in this Angus Reid polling here is the people most likely to pick the NFL over the CFL are young people. Oh, yeah. that That is the number one issue, is that how does the CFL capture the next generation? I mean, I got captured as, as a teenager because John Candy and Wayne Gretzky bought the Argonauts with Rocket Ishmael back in 1991. So I, I got hooked as a 16-year-old. But, yeah, but you nailed it. That's the number one thing that they're trying to figure out. And whether it's through more sports betting, fantasy, you know, they're... They'll try everything, but I, I you, you hit the nail on the head there. That's the number one issue, and and to be honest with you, I'd like to give like a really clever answer. I, I don't have one about how you get young people into the Argonauts. TSN's Matt Cause, Super Bowl Sunday, go Chiefs! Thanks. For Absolutely. <laughs> Just made a friend. What an incredible string of hits. Bert Bacharach, who passed away yesterday. Joining me now, Amanda Lang, host of Taking Stock with Amanda Lang on BNN Bloomberg. Good morning. Good morning. Please don't let this be a musical quiz. <laughs> okay. But you know that uh, these songs come up and you go, yeah, I know that one. I know that one. Yes. I know that yeah. one. <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't know who had written it. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I hadn't thrown this in earlier this morning. Nick just reminded me that part of his music education as Burt Bacharach was getting going was at McGill. So Interesting. Yeah. Well, look at you. Nice connection. See? Is a soft <laughs> landing still possible for the economy, Amanda? So this is the, probably the biggest question that economists are mulling over. And there is some reason for good news on that front. There's a reason for optimism, including uh, the recent jobs data. We're going to get in fresh jobs data any minute. And our labor market is tight. And what happens in recessions, of course, is you get layoffs, you get high unemployment, and that becomes then that vicious cycle of then businesses don't have customers, everything slows down. In this case, we're not seeing layoffs. Uh, we certainly haven't seen them broad-based. And so there is some optimism that the strength of the economy will hang on. 
You got some other things like China reopened after being locked down for so long with COVID. That's creating new kind of economic zest worldwide. And some prices have come down. Commodity prices have come off their really, really high levels. Uh, and so you wrap all that together and more economists are saying there's a greater chance of a soft landing. Uh, it's not 100 percent chance. It's more like 30 percent, but it's better than it was. You know, I look at the gas pump and I, 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 I get mad at myself for thinking the price is OK, but it's simply because of what it was not long ago. Well, that's right. I mean, you bang your head against the wall, it feels good when you stop. Uh, we still have, of course, high-priced gasoline. There are still incredibly high prices uh, for things like food. And let's not forget that when things like our rent go up, as they have across the board and mortgages, of course, they don't come down uh, the minute uh, things soften. So those are kind of dug in for a little while, at least a year, say. And so that causes pain that will continue for a lot of people. Um, but what the bank is watching is, is the spiral still heading higher? And I think they're starting to feel quite confident that they've actually, they've they've basically tamed inflation and it's starting to head down. How quickly will it come down is really the question now. Well, we've heard of this threat for a while, but Netflix Canada is beginning their password sharing crackdown. How's that going to go? So it's a big question mark. Uh, Netflix says 100 million households share passwords with other people worldwide. Now, that's a big number, so you can understand why, why it's a problem for them. Uh, I think they got a big PR problem on their hands, because I don't know about your household, but we I have multiple devices in multiple places. Uh, one of the things I prize about Netflix is that it's very portable. So I haven't yet received my email telling me when and where I can use my Netflix. Um, but if they start charging subscribers these extra fees for extra extra locations. So let's say you want to go use your Netflix at your cottage. Do you have to pay extra for that or go through some weird red tape proving that that's also your house? I think they might lose people here. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. You understand the problem that they have, but this it, it could be one where this horse is out of the barn and they're trying to close the door way too late. Okay, so it's a consideration for me uh, in that, uh, quite frankly, I'll be honest about it, I'm sharing my sister and brother-in-law um, Netflix and I, you yeah. know, I'm getting it for nothing. But it, it, the additional is not twenty bucks. It's like seven ninety nine. And I've actually been asking myself if they're gonna if they're gonna cut me off, whether I might just uh, you know transfer that amount of money to my sister and her husband at like eight bucks a month or something, and just say, okay, then that's what I'll do. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you might that there's a bit of kind of uh, legwork involved and some paper. You know, like you got to transfer cash. I think people, most people, won't want to go through that. They'll want to either get their own or you're actually here. You're a good test case. Will you dump it all together if you no longer have access to that? Or will you subscribe to whatever the, the minimum subscription is that you could, you could get? Like, that'll be the question is, is it worth it to you to get your own subscription now? Well, and I have to balance that against the 1.7 million I supposedly need in order to retire. <laughs> exactly. This is this BMO study looking at what we think we need for retirement. The key is, so 1.7 is what Canadians think they need. That's actually, um, it, it's a big number, but it includes your full net worth. Uh, and so oh, Canadians do, gets a little bit close to that. The average savings by Canadians 65 and up is about 1.3 million. Uh, but that number is up significantly from just uh, a year ago. And the number of people who think they're going to get there is down from a year ago. So in terms of our forecast of what we need, we think it's going to be higher than it was. And fewer of us think we're going to make it. Well, and to have one number like that is silly because it, it depends where you live. It depends what your lifestyle is, what your expectations are. Some people live on actually pretty modest income. 
Oh, for sure. And, you know, some people get their their Netflix from their sister and brother-in-law. So, yes. you know, that you, you probably need 1.6 million. Uh, no, it's <laughs> totally right. It's very individual in terms of kind of what you're going to need. And that is, I mean, that's actually a really good point, Jerry. Everybody needs to look at their own situation and understand what they want to do in retirement. It's not some magic number. It's actually very practical. Where are you going to live? What are you going to eat? Do you want to travel? Uh, and you can actually do the math. There's lots of calculators online that can help you figure this stuff out and actually even work backwards to what you need to be saving today. And little public service announcement. If you're younger and you start saving now, you have to put away much less every month in order to get there. Uh, the miracle of com compounding return, Albert Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. Start young. Uh, it's not much use for those of us in middle age, but for anybody who's young, that's a, but just a good like reminder that the earlier you start, the less you have to do. I saw you on TV. I thought you were young. No way. Middle aged oh, man. All right, then. Although, although you lose me at Burke Baccarat. I mean, <laughs> not that old. All right, then. I, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to get groceries from my sister and brother in law. That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> so, uh, coming up on Taking Stock with Amanda Lang for this weekend, what do you have? We're taking actually a closer look at what the jobs are that are available. You know, everyone keeps talking about how there's so many unfilled jobs. It turns out that 60% of them are low paid jobs. Uh, they don't need high school uh, or sorry, they just need high school or no education at all. That's the educational requirement. And they pay under $40,000 a year. So yes, there are jobs, but they're not jobs that are going to get you rich. You will be sharing someone's Netflix password. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I always get disturbed when I see, oh, we've gained this many jobs. And my first question is always, how many in the private sector? Because that's all I care about. Yeah, you're absolutely right to ask that because, of course, the vast majority of jobs created in pandemic were public sector jobs that should occupy all of us because that's tax dollars. We Our base goes to support it. Uh, and so, yes, we have to ask that question. And having said that, public sector jobs are real jobs. They create economic value of a kind and they do uh, tend to be more stable. So it's sort of interesting to, to ask that question. We're going to get jobs numbers in two minutes. So we'll see uh, just where what the breakdown is. It's not expected to be a huge month for job creation, but uh, hopefully no big job losses, um, although apparently that's what the Bank of Canada wouldn't mind seeing. We'll get them in two minutes. You want to just sit here, you and me, and sing Burke Backerock songs for two Play minutes? Play a little or... Burke Backerock, <laughs> Neil Diamond. Yeah, good yeah, There you go. Amanda Lang, uh, of course, will be with you on CTV News Channel and CP24, and an encore presentation of Taking Stock with Amanda Lang tonight at 10 o'clock on News Talk 1010. Thanks, Amanda. Great to talk, Jerry. This is more in the morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. You see this guy, this guy's in love with you. Yes, I'm in love. Who looks at you the way I do when you see an amazing composer passed away yesterday, Burt Bacharach, and that's yet another hit. We started at 5 o'clock in the morning, and Nick has not had to repeat. And it's not like you were putting in fillers. It's not like you're doing deep cuts. Every one of the songs that you've played, Nick, has been a winner written by, uh, in this case, uh, sung by Herb Alpert, the A in A&M Records, by the way. Um, Herb Alpert, the Tijuana Brass, but the song was written by 
Burt Baccarat. Just before I talk to Tony here, Nick, um, your show tonight, you're doing a Super Bowl special? Yeah, totally useless information with Nick and Roy. I'm the Nick of Nick and Roy, in case you were wondering. Really? Uh, and uh, we're having uh, some special programming in terms of Super Bowl, all kinds of Super Bowl facts like the hottest the Super Bowl, the wettest, the coldest, uh, how much money is spent on chicken wings, so the poor chickens. And <laughs> in, like in, in like North America or? Uh, we have various information from both okay. quarters. All of it useless. Well, totally useless. And then some other sports stuff as well. And that's why we call it totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Tonight at midnight and 5 p.m. tomorrow, right after Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman at 4 o'clock. So Chatter That Matters at 4, Chatter That Doesn't Matter at 5. All right. And also at noon today. And and coincidentally, uh, Tony Chapman happens to be joining us now. Good morning. Good morning. I was kind of questioning that song about I'm in love with you leading into our conversation, Jerry, but now that you explained it, you've been running, running it all day. Yes. I, just, I didn't know I was going to have to introduce a special crush on you or something. Okay. Well, you know, some things should remain private, Tony. Um, so with so much negativity, do we still have a possibility to find a path to positivity? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great leading question for my chat today with Dr. Talia Varley. I met her at a conference I was hosting for the Economic Club of Canada. And I said, you know, I'm going to bring, I'm going to do an episode. Why is so many people unhappy at work and trying to find a new path in life? And that's how we started the interview. But I realized after speaking with Dr. Varley that she's so intelligent and smart in the areas of happiness, positivity, and possibility for all of us. So sometimes we take it out and work. I'm not feeling great right now about who, but so I'm mad at work, but she's saying what we really got to do is learn techniques to tune out the negativity so that when we're in front of our family, whether with our friends or at the workplace, we're approaching life with just a, you know, a skip to our step versus feeling like we're walking in cement. Well, and, but we got to be able to do that without being sort of Pollyannish about it. Without question. She says, look, you can't, you know, the, the world is what it is, and it's not a great place right now, and people are living pay to check to paycheck and inflation, but she said our confirmation biases, when we're feeling down, it's like we have an antenna, we just pull in all the negative news to confirm how we feel, and by doing that, we feel even worse, and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy, this downward spiral of negativity, and she's saying it, what's also important, as tough as life is, is also to remember how great that morning coffee feels going out for a walk or a run uh, holding your grandson's hand you know uh, spending time with your granddaughter all of this all of the things in life that are great it's important we open our minds to them because if not we will be so overwhelmed we're going to want to quit work we're going to want to quit life and we're certainly seeing it in terms of the mental health crisis taking hold in our country so not Pollyanna practical well you know I I totally get this I live this because I I can have some great things happen and I'm feeling really good and everything and then I've got to put the show together and so I've got to investigate all the news stories that are in the news and then oh my god here we go again you know, it's, uh, I've got a show coming up with Steve Pakin, and he talks about journalists like you, how much negativity you take in every day, synthesize it, cleanse it, because it can't all be presented to the audience because it's so horrific, and yet you have to do it in a way that still entertains. And, and she, she's, she's going to have some great uh, advice for you as well, Jerry, because you, we deal with it all the time. It's like we're drinking 
horrible stuff from a fire hose, but she says, pull it, push that fire hose away and just look around and realize that, you know what, you're living in a great country, you're, you've got a beautiful family, you've got good things happening. Not all, lots of, lots of tough stuff, but so not sugarcoating it, just reminding us that if we don't open up our minds to positivity, we're going to find ourselves in a world of negativity. Well, that will be Tony Chapman talking to Dr. Talia Varley at noon today on Chatter That Matters. Good to have you, Tony. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jerry. We'll chat soon. Bye-bye. And on round two with me, Sabrina Nanji from Queen's Park Observer, News Talk 1010's Jason Agnew, and, and like I say, Dowson Montreal Radio commentator. Uh, good to have all of you. Let's jump right into what uh, Mark Tui just mentioned, and that is that the Integrity Commissioner has cleared Doug Ford after questions were raised about developers attending his daughter's stag and doe. So, Sabrina, first of all, for people like Mark, What's a stag and doe? Uh, is this oh this is this is the easy part of this whole saga uh okay. it's kind of a pre-wedding party uh typically there's like raffles events prizes you can win sometimes you know a, a price of entry and it's really to help the bride and groom raise raise cash to put on their wedding okay so it's instead of having a stag which they might do which is all the guys or a party with all the women a bachelorette party this is just everybody coming party it's a free-for-all. And okay. in this case, it seems like some developers were, were also in attendance. Uh, and as you mentioned, the integrity commissioner said that it was a-okay, uh, but the, the story behind this uh, was kind of bonkers, really. You know, it, it kind of worked backwards. So Ford had gotten these questions about the attendance of developers at uh, his a, a his an event for his daughter's wedding. And of course, you know, that could be viewed as undue influence, you know, unregistered lobbying. We've got to wonder what did they talk about? You know, did uh, the green belt come up, that sort of thing. And so Ford, you know, went to the integrity commissioner, uh, had their their conversations that they, they normally do. It's typically done, you know, behind closed doors. Uh, the integrity commissioner decided that everything was cool. You know, these developers just happen to be personal friends of the premier and he could not find any wrongdoing there. The thing is, is as Global reported, you know, a lot of the developers and lobbyists that were in attendance felt a bit icky about it. Uh, and so I think that, you know, even though Ford has been cleared by the by the ethics watchdog, this is still bad optics, you know, from all angles. And I don't think, you know, uh, he, he's going to be clear of questions or criticism about it. Well, what do you mean they felt icky about it? Somebody forced him to go to a party? Well, essentially what, you know, these these folks who did not give their name um, to, to Colin DeMello, our colleague over at Global News, but they said that it, you know, it just didn't feel right. And they didn't want to be seen as, um, you know, pay for play, that that type of thing, or, or trying to gain influence by, you know, helping pay for his daughter's wedding. Um, you know, normally you wouldn't turn down the chance to go to the premier's house, uh, as, as these folks said, but uh, they, they were worried that it might have crossed a line. Now, of course, you know, uh, the ethics watchdog has said it, it was cool, but, you know, for opposition critics, for a lot of folks that are already questioning, you know, were developers tipped off, for example, about the green belt being opened up, uh, which, you know, the auditor general and the integrity commissioner are investigating separately. This is just kind of uh, another wrench in the, the whole mess that this has become for the Ford government. Well, and I think it's also a, a problem for the individuals involved, regardless of what political parties we're talking about. Moving Movers and shakers know movers and shakers, you know, like they, to think, for instance, that John Tory wouldn't know a whole bunch of really influential people, including developers, or that Doug Ford wouldn't. I mean, that just that just is. 
Look, it is really hard sir, to prove. It is. Yeah, it's hard to prove, but it also is a really bad look for the Ford government, especially with regard to the green belt. And in general, right, the Ford family is very well connected to the business elite, as is the mayor of Toronto, John Tory. And that leaves a lot of people who aren't well connected feeling like the decisions are being made by big money people with their own interests in mind. Like they don't care about the rest of us, the vast majority of us, let's say the 99%. So the Ford government and the Tory administration need to be super careful about this. And, you know, it's touching to think that the developers thought it was an icky look. Maybe they should just say, I'm sorry, we're just going to have to give this a pass. Like there needs to be some serious diligence with regards to this, because that is really, that polarizes people, that makes people angry. It pushes them into the arms of you know, conspiracy theorists and all kinds of crazy nonsense. It undermines democracy when it seems like all the decisions are being made by big money people for big money people. I can't argue with any of that. But Jason, at the same time, it makes me wonder, are we looking for politicians then that have never accomplished anything and don't know anybody? Well, no, I just feel like we're sitting here watching a real life version of Yellowstone or Dallas. I mean, Ford's playing the role of John Dutton here and it's all about the land and he had a big party at the ranch and a whole bunch of developers showed up and it was the the perfect could have been the perfect cover while the loud music was playing at the stag and doe. All of a sudden there's whispers around the table and now we have what we have. Who knows what happened? Well, meanwhile, we're hit by people at the other end of the equation. Toronto's Auditor General says city workers wasted a lot of taxpayer money. And uh, this wasn't just, uh, you know, you could have done that little project cheaper. This was actually out and out fraud on the part of people working for the city, supposedly working for the city, while Sabrina, they were um, doing their side hustle. And uh, in one case, actually applying for grants and things that they, while taking a full city salary. I think there's a lot more of this than what they uncovered, and not just in Toronto, in in governments all over the place. Yeah, I think the one you pointed out, you know, about this employee who kind of fudged, um, you know, applications for municipal subsidies and got, you know, over $85,000, wrongfully so. That was a wild story to me. I also thought thought it was significant, though, that there's been an increase in this type of fraud. And a part of me actually felt a little bit of sympathy for the employees that were uh, accused of time theft, you know, and, you know, one, one person had been working a second job at a landscaping company. Um, another had kind of, you know, faked their sick days in order to take on a second job. And, and I, I kind of felt like that is a bit of, you know, desperation here. And we're all feeling the pinch, you know, these days with, with cost of living so high. And of course, you know, it's not, it's, I'm not condoning that behavior, but I think that it sort of amounts to, you know, stealing a loaf of bread to fill your, to feed your starving family. It's a bit of a, it's not so black and white to me there. And so I, I felt for those employees because we're we're all kind of feeling the pinch right now. Yeah, but they, of course, doesn't legitimize what they were doing. And I don't know that the, the incidence of this is up. They have a tip line now, Anne, and the reporting of it is up. Yeah, there were a thousand reports. And in the cases that are outlined in that news story, um, you know, pretty much everybody was penalized or punished or flat out fired. So that part of it seems to be working. The thing is that it's sort of linked to our earlier story about the stag and doe. If there's an atmosphere of kickbacks and cronyism and jobs for the boys at the top, there's going to be a certain amount of trickle down to the bottom of that kind of attitude, unless we make sure that there's more attention paid 
to keeping the ethics guidelines, you know, in place. And uh, and I I also agree with Sabrina. I think people are increasingly desperate. And so the little guys at the bottom are going to be scrambling around to try and figure out how to pay their rents or pay their mortgages with mortgage rates going through the roof in Toronto. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult time and you're going to see people bending the rules at the bottom for sure in this kind of atmosphere. Well, that's why, Jason, I, I actually like to see the fact that the city has gone so far as to fire a number of these people, because oftentimes what we've seen in government is, oops, sorry that happened. We shan't do it again. And nobody takes a penalty. Rarely do I agree with you, Jerry, but I'm on board for this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't I don't care about people's sick, day, sick days, and if they have to work another job, that's unfortunate. But if they manage to go about it that way, I'm okay with that. It's more like a personal day than a sick day. But anyone that is using their inner knowledge to work the system and taking government grants that they should not actually be having, that is a fireable offense. So we have more than 90 students stripped of their degrees after a finding that the school wasn't accredited. And I think they mean for this program. School's been around a long time and they do a lot of different things. But these are students who thought that they were going to be working in the medical community. And uh, everybody knows we really need them. So they go through a two-year program and are suddenly told, you got nothing. And uh, Sabrina, they're talking about giving them our money back, and uh, but they can't get their two years years back, maybe they can get a chunk of their two years back, just give them whatever test is required and find out if they actually have the knowledge. And if they do, I think put them to work. Yeah, I'm really surprised at how this went on for so long. You know, it was multiple people. You mentioned a two-year program, and they were all shocked when it came time, you know, uh, for the exam that that they were not in an accredited program. I think, you know, the the onus here is on the regulator and also the ministry too, because, uh, you know, obviously these these students were not aware of of the the college not being accredited and so i think there needs to be a bit more transparency um, making it a lot clearer of what these people had signed up for and especially now we are so desperate for healthcare workers to to read this story in these times was just absolutely devastating uh, will you go with what i said and test them and if they pass the test they go to work and if not uh, what do we need to do to get you up to speed Exactly. And these are ultrasound technicians, right? So I don't need to tell people who've been in the medical system. These are the ones who check out pregnant women. They are the ones who do, you know, searches for cancerous tissue. Like this is an important skilled group. And I agree. I think something's not right. When Accreditation Canada revokes the status all of a sudden that, you know, so these people shouldn't be punished. But I I also think it goes to this larger question. We, We tell people, come to Canada, you'll have a better life. And then we don't recognize their expertise as engineers, as doctors, as ultrasound technicians, as I don't know what, like we need to do a lot better job with this accreditation thing overall. Can you do 10 seconds, Jason? I just don't know why this college course is running if it's not accredited. What's the purpose? Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of investigating needed. Thanks to all of you. Have a great weekend. I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore today. 